This is the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. And we do this especially for those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. This particular sermon was from December 11th, 2022, and the text was Luke 2, verses 1 to 7, was part of our 2020 Advent season. So this is Advent season, of course. Um, That's probably fairly obvious to you by the calendar and the decoration. So at this time, our church, like many churches throughout the whole world, reflect on the birth of Jesus. And so here at Tressler, each Sunday we have a theme and we have some passages that we read to to sort of draw our minds to some focus or some idea to, to reflect on for that Sunday. Last Sunday, the theme was expectation and hope. And Jerry talked about how people were waiting, they were hoping for God's promised rescue. The people had been waiting and hoping for a very long time. And finally, in the events of our scripture passage last week, an angel came and announced to Mary that that time was coming soon. The angel told Mary about her son. And one of those verses said, he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So finally, after such a long time of waiting, their hopes were going to be fulfilled by the arrival of a king, a king who is the descendant of King David from the past. And this morning, our theme is the promised son of David. And by son of David, people thought king, and they thought rightly, but well, I guess, I guess we'll keep going there. There's more to it than they realized. Now, in the time right around the birth of Jesus, the governing authority was Rome. There was an emperor who was in charge. The emperor delegated authority to various regional rulers. That's where King Herod enters our Christmas story. So you know that there's a situation of people who are oppressed by an evil foreign empire. And the people of Israel longed for somebody who would come, who would rescue them, who would set them free who bring freedom and righteousness and justice. And I thought we should sort of pause there for a moment because to help us sort of understand what's going on, I think this situation really resonates with us and we can understand. It's pretty common to tell stories of some new leader who is going to rise up and set people free from outside oppression. And I thought if you really want to get rich, all you have to do is write a story about some young upstart who takes on an evil empire, defeats it, and brings freedom. And I guess if you want to get extremely rich, you turn it into a movie. And there are probably other stories in our culture. Um, I had already thought of the Arthur stories that before um, Carl mentioned them, this idea of somebody who is a great ruler, a great leader, somebody who takes on opposing forces outside evil and sets us free Actually, we hear stories kind of like this every four years when we have an election cycle and every politician wants to be viewed as the one who is going to take on the evil out there, usually the other party. They're saying this at each other. Take on the evil out there, going to set us free and going to make everything happy and harmonious and wealthy and, I don't know, probably won't even be diseases anymore. They want to sell everything. But... 
we get this idea in our mind, and I guess what I'm trying to say is we can understand, even though our situation isn't the same as what the people of Israel faced, I think we understand what they were feeling, both from our own, own situations of people who are, are um, burdening us at times and we want to be free, but also just from our culture, this is a part of the way that we think. We, we get that, hold on to that feeling and try to put yourself in the place of the people of Israel, reflecting on how they were experiencing life. But see, for them, it was not just optimistic, wishful thinking that sometime, someday, a king was going to come. Because within scripture, there had long been a promise that somebody was going to come who was not going to be a foreign king. It was going to be one of their own, a descendant of, well, we'll get there. And this king was going to be chosen by God and anointed and was going to rule greatly. So we heard a few passages read from Jeremiah and Isaiah on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read a couple more passages, just a few. Um, there'd be a lot more to select from, but just a couple to try to capture the idea how throughout Scripture this promise was made to them. So they weren't blindly wishing. They were hoping with confidence in what God had promised through Scripture. So, so back in Genesis 49, verse 10, um, Jacob is nearing the end of his death. He says to his sons, he says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. So way back in Genesis, we get a promise of leadership that are going to come through Judah and his descendants. But there's a hint of something more than just a, a normal king, uh, somebody who will rule in a greater way and be honored by all nations. If you flip forward in your Bibles a little ways, and also forward in time, we'll get to 2 Samuel 7. At this point, God makes a promise to David. He says, furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you. This is talking to David, a house for David, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. So on a, on a first kind of reading, you might say, well, this is Solomon, the one who built the temple. Or you might say, well, this, this dynasty, this is the kings of Judah. And yet, even within this promise, there is something more. It says, I will secure his royal throne forever. We get, there's more, but also as we read, as we read the history of the people of Israel in First and Second Kings, we realize that the kings of Judah were not honorable. They didn't, they didn't fill this out. And soon the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah were going to go into exile. And yet the promise was not forgotten. In fact, it was re-emphasized periodically. Um, another famous passage that we read during the Christmas time is from Micah chapter 5. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth, and then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, then his people will live there undisturbed for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. So 
Like I said, very abbreviated uh, um, selection of the promises found throughout Scripture, but the people of Israel were really wanting somebody to come, somebody to deliver them and rescue them. And this wasn't a blind hope. This was a hope based on the promises of Scripture that someday a king would come who would somehow rule forever, and the king would be a descendant of David and would sit on the throne of David. And one of the things that we celebrate at Christmas is that this promised king, a descendant of David, has come. We believe that Jesus is the king, but he is our king as well. And so part of what Luke is doing here in our passage for today in Luke chapter 2, he's telling us, he's trying to show that Jesus is indeed the king that God had promised so long ago. He's a descendant of King David and also a descendant of Judah. For David was a descendant of Judah. He was born in Bethlehem, as was promised in Scripture. So part of what, Jesus, what Luke is doing as he's telling the story of Jesus is to establish Jesus' credentials. If someone is going to claim to be the rightful king of Israel, there were certain things that had to be true about them, and Luke is showing that Jesus meets those requirements. But I think part of what Luke is doing also is to try to stress that Jesus is king because Jesus didn't, he didn't look like a king sometimes. There were things about him that didn't fit what you might sort of call your stereotypical picture of a king. And that's why I wanted you to think about some of the stories in our culture of, of uh, parallels of somebody who comes and sets people free and conquers the bad guys. Because in, in the Star Wars movies, which have become very famous over my lifetime, in the evil empire was consolidating power. Somebody needed to come to try to rescue the people, to defeat the bad guy. And of course, then we get originally a series of three movies of explosions and battles, and the good guys always win, and then there's backup so that you can get the sequel, and then they win again. But that's the kind of picture that we get. And I, I'm not familiar with the King Arthur legends very much, but we also have this. He was a powerful king. He ruled. He defeated evil. He was victorious. Our politicians want us to vote for them because they want to be, they want to be in charge. They want wealth and power and honor. They want to sit in the White House with all of the trappings of that. But Luke is going to tell a very different story. And I think he's trying to stress that Jesus is indeed king because it's not going to look like it at first. Jesus is not the kind of king that we might expect from the way that we think about royalty and the way that we think about stories from our culture. So you heard the passage read, but I'm going to read it again, or at least look at pieces of it. Luke starts out, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. So I think Luke is partially establishing the time frame of the events that he's going to write about. But in doing this, he draws attention to the rulers of this world. In kind of a compare and contrast, we are introduced to the emperor. The emperor makes the rules and everybody else follows them. And part of those people who follow them was a poor man named Joseph. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And so Joseph, and actually probably, maybe, Mary as well, was a descendant of David. 
But Joseph wasn't a ruler. He didn't live in the official hometown even. We don't know much about Joseph, but it seems that he was not very important or powerful or rich or anything like that. Jesus, Mother Mary, was also not important or powerful or influential. We can, we can guess from our passage here that, that they were not uh, extremely well off since they had no place to stay when they arrived in Bethlehem. And if you've got money, usually you find a way. But actually, we know even more clearly from Scripture that they were very poor. Because if we read just a bit later in Luke 2 that when Jesus was dedicated at the temple, they offered the sacrifice of two pigeons. But if you're familiar with Scripture, it says, When the time of purification is completed, for either a son or a daughter, the woman must bring a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a purification offering. So the offering was a lamb, unless you were very poor. If a woman cannot afford to bring a lamb, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One will be for the burnt offering and the other for the purification offering. And the priest will sacrifice them to purify her and she will be ceremonially clean. So, so yes, part of what Luke is doing is showing that Jesus was indeed born a king. He fulfilled all of the requirements, all the promises that God had made. But he's also showing that he isn't a normal king, not what we might expect. He was born to common people while they were far away from home, very poor, unable to find a proper place to stay, but he is the king. Now, I just, it was, as I was reflecting on this, I, I sort of a brief, a brief side topic for a moment. I was realizing that sometimes in the church, when we talk about this, we talk about how Jesus will return someday. And someday he will reign and everything will be good and wonderful. And someday he will be king. And, and indeed, that's, that's true. We do anticipate a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation 21, we get a very beautiful picture. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And for those of us who like the Midwest, maybe the best of all is the sea was also gone. So take that for what you want. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a low shout, loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So that is something very good that we can look forward to, a beautiful future. But in doing that, don't, don't only say that Jesus is going to be king someday, because part of what we're trying to understand is he is king now. But he wasn't born like a normal king, and he doesn't rule like a normal king. He doesn't reign like a normal th king. There's something very different. In John, in John 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet in the role that a servant would normally take. And he said, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And Jesus taught much the same lesson a little bit later, or not a little bit later, but a different time, I should say. But this is recorded in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. 
says, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over all those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So back to our our passage in Luke. The political ruler of the world, the great emperor Augustus, he had ordered a census. And as a result of that decree, Joseph and Mary had to travel very far from their home. They were very disrupted. And while they were away from home with no place to stay, her son was born. And to some appearances, this was just another poor family disrupted by the somewhat arbitrary decisions of a powerful ruler far away. And Luke says, actually, no. Remember the scripture and pay attention to the story. God had been promising this from a very, very long time ago. That little boy, the one born to that mother who was too poor to afford to buy a lamb, that boy, Luke says, is now king. Not someday far off in the future. He will be then too, for sure. But but also now, he's king today. But it doesn't look like it because he's not a normal king. He's the kind of king who serves rather than asking people to serve him. He's the kind of king who dies so that his followers will live, whereas a normal king sends the soldiers off to die to keep the king safe. He's a very different kind of king. And when others join his kingdom, he asks them to become different kinds of people. So scripture indicates that there will be a time when it's going to look a little more conventional. He's going to sit on a throne. Everyone's going to bow before him. We're going to see what is a normal picture of kingdoms, perhaps, But when you read scripture, it almost seems like Jesus is a little displeased if that becomes our focus, if we follow him only because of what we're looking forward to in the future. That passage I read in Matthew, let's put it in its context. The mother of James and John, possibly Jesus' aunt, came and she asked Jesus, in your kingdom... Please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. And Jesus replies, you don't understand what you're asking. Yes, these two are going to have honor, but that means that one's going to die pretty soon and the other's going to live a long time, but imprisoned and tortured for a lot of it, they're going to have honor, but not what you expect. And then he speaks the words that I already read. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. So the time will come when Jesus reigns in a somewhat much more conventional sense, but he wants us to follow him now, to claim him as our king now, so that we are his ambassadors representing his kingdom in this place that is not our home. He wants us to serve rather than asking to be served. He wants us to die for others rather than having others die for us. And James and John eventually understood all this, and they lived it out. And probably their mother understood later why her request was misdirected. Jesus desires us for us to claim him as king now and to serve others as he did. So today is our third Sunday of this Advent season, when we celebrate the coming of our king, the promised son of David. 
But he's not a normal king. He's the king that God had promised who would come and set his people free, but not from the political oppression that they were experiencing at the time. He came to set them free from the sin which held them in bondage and controlled them. And the same is true for us. He sets us free from sin as well. We do know that the future time is coming, and that's a beautiful thing to look forward to, but he doesn't want us to follow him only because of that, but also for the right now when we are free And I think part of that is because we have a job to do right now, which is to introduce him to others so that they too can be free and they too can be part of his kingdom. So let's proclaim the kingdom and the king this season. You have been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from December 11th, 2022. The passage was Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. Take care. Oh, boy.